Hi, everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Rise podcast. Before we get into our show, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our event that we're running out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, May 28th through the 31st, called Camp Elevate for Coaches on the Rise. It is a very unique personal and professional development program for all coaches of all sports. I guarantee you, when you leave camp, it'll rejuvenate you, it will we'll send you away with a lot of great ideas, and you'll meet some really, really cool coaches in the process. So if you're interested, we'd really love for you to take a, a peek um, at truenorthsports.net and hope you'll join us in Colorado Springs this coming May. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Coaches on the Rise, the podcast for all coaches of all sports. I'm your host, Celia Slater. And today we get to visit with Amanda Butler, the head women's basketball coach at Clemson University. And Amanda's had a really interesting three years of some pretty lows, some pretty low lows and some pretty high highs and everything in between. Um, She got let go from the University of Florida, and then she took a gap year, and then this past season was the head women's basketball coach at Clemson. Uh, So I think Amanda has some really great insights that she's learned over the course of these three years. I'm very confident you'll get some great nuggets about experiencing failure to trusting your gut to be who you are um, and one of the most important things I think Amanda talks about is not being afraid to ask for help. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So now on to the show. Welcome everybody. And today I am lucky enough to have the opportunity to visit with um, coach Amanda Butler, the head women's basketball coach at Clemson University. Thanks for being with us, Amanda. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. I'm excited to get to to visit with you today. It it is really fun for me, you know, so just in full disclosure, when Amanda was here at Florida, we were kind of neighbors. We actually lived down the street from each other, so it's really nice for me to have an opportunity to catch up with you and um, see how life is going for you. Um, No doubt. I miss you. I I know. I miss you, too. We we (laughs) definitely miss you guys around here, for sure. So Amanda, you know, for this podcast is for coaches of all sports. Um, so if you don't mind, would you just give people a really quick cliff notes of your background and how you, you know, how you landed at Clemson? Sure. From your playing um, days, so I'll, I'll, tell them about your playing days at Florida, so on and so forth. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Very, just really, really fortunate to be able to call myself um, a Gator. I'm very proud of that. Um, was coached by an awesome woman, um, Carol Ross, and uh, and and actually she became my coach. She didn't recruit me, but um, there was a coaching change, and she coached me all four years. Had an amazing student athlete experience there at the University of Florida, and then Coach Ross hired me in um, what back in the day we used to have in basketball, uh, what was called a third assistant or a restricted earnings assistant position, and so she hired me right after I finished playing. And uh, two years there with her and, and then, but the, the restriction of the restricted earnings was not just your earnings. It was also that you, you couldn't go out on the road and recruit. And so that was the next step for me, <clears throat> excuse me, professionally. And so then I left there and worked for Susie Gardner 
at Austin P State University for four years as an assistant. Let's go P. <laughs> I am from Tennessee. So that was a return home and um, was, was really just uh, a really important part of my career at working at a place like Austin P where we didn't have necessarily all the resources. And so we had to do uh, just all the heavy lifting ourselves and the light lifting. There was no lifting that we didn't do there. Um, but was there for four years with, with Susie as my boss, who was a, a fantastic leader, and then went and worked for four years at UNC Charlotte for Katie Meyer. And uh, Katie, again, was just, she's one of my mentors and someone that I just owe so much to in, in my career and in my development and on my path to becoming a head coach. Um, worked there for Katie for four years. She became the head coach at Miami. And um, I was promoted to head coach at Charlotte um, under the direction of Judy Rose, a fantastic athletic director uh, who, who recently retired. And again, another mentor of mine and someone that I'm blessed to have had as part of my journey. And, uh, and then Jeremy Foley called, and I uh, got to go back to the University of Florida and was there for, for 10 years as the head coach there and just had uh, really grateful for all of that time and opportunity and the relationships and the successes and failures that came with that experience. When um, then there was a change in leadership, and, and uh, I was fired as the head coach at Florida. And uh, the fun part of the story is, um, that I, I, it's fun now. It wasn't fun then. I guess I should say that, you know, I, uh, was fired on my birthday, um, you know, from my alma mater, which is just really kind of the beginning of this next part of the story and probably why you even want to talk to me, uh, <laughs> you know, because I had a year in between after that year and, uh, just really tried to take advantage of it and trying to see basketball through a completely different lens. And, and try to just get in some rooms where I knew basketball was being played at the highest level and experience that as, as a teacher and as a communicator. And, um, and I got to just be a student of the game in a lot of different people's classrooms that I'm very, very grateful for. And then at the end of that year, um, Clemson hired me and um, was really excited about that opportunity. Uh, it gave a lot of clarity to, you know, what should be next in my journey, because I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure in that gap year as it's um, kind of evolved as what we call it now I didn't know exactly where coaching was going to go for me I knew I was going to coach but I wasn't sure if it was going to be uh, men or women or professional or uh, you know I just didn't know but I was really open to anything and I think that's part of what made that gap year so special and maybe made me a successful learner in that year as well um, but I've just completed my first year as as the head coach here at Clemson and um, it was it was really one of the most rewarding uh, and just fun years that I've experienced um, in adulthood, and I'm really really grateful for it. Yeah, Amanda. And before we jump into your uh, your success at Clemson, which congratulations, by the way. You know that I mean, we'll talk more about that later, and and really um, some of the milestones that you had this past year. But the other piece that I, I really want to talk a little bit more about the getting fired piece because sure let's you know, do it you know I've worked with coaches for a long time and I've noticed that sometimes about women when they get fired a lot of them wind up leaving the profession like it's the whole process of getting fired and I don't want to overgeneralize because you know I, I feel like sometimes it seems like men survive those firings 
better sometimes than women do. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. know if it's because of how they internalize it um, or they just are saying, screw this, I'm out of here, the women, you know, like this is just not my cup of tea. But I'm just really curious on the process that you went through because, you know, you, you were saying like you were, you were like face down in the arena, man. You were like dirt on your face, blood on your face. You're like it was your birthday. It was your alma mater. It was <laughs> tough. I mean, it was, it was tough. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your process that you went through? Not, not at all. And, um, and the thing that I would say about that, uh, of just, you know, even the way you're approaching asking me about it, I think that as women, and again, this is a gross generalization, so I apologize if I'm offending anyone uh, because maybe your experience has been different. I think that we look at the whole thing a lot differently than, uh, than our male counterparts do. And, and I, think, I don't think that necessarily gives us an advantage when we face that sort of adversity, you know, that we, we make our jobs sometimes bigger than they, than they should be. And, um, and I think that's part of our advantage in the way that we coach because we do maybe feel differently or a female energy gives us a certain advantage. But then there's sometimes when I think sometimes that can uh, occasionally distract us. From, from being our best or from bouncing back from something or whatever the case may be. And so there's, I would just tell you at the beginning of, of that transition of my life, um, you know, I had so many wonderful people in my life who were calling or, you know, wanted to see me or just, you know, how are you doing? And, and you must be devastated and some thoughts along those lines. And, you know, my response to those thoughts were, listen, I was devastated when my Meemaw passed away. Losing my job was not devastating because basketball and coaching super important to me. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it has been the most really formative force in all of my journey outside of my family. However, basketball and coaching is what I do. It's not who I am. Mm -hmm. and, and those are messages that I think that I think I want to believe that especially as I matured as a head coach, even at Florida, were the messages that I was really trying to impart to my players. And so then in, in the face of being fired, you really get a chance to walk your talk in some of those regards. Right. And, uh, and, and I felt really convicted in a lot of those spaces in terms of what was it that I had been teaching as the head coach at Florida? What were the things that I had been messaging to my team and, and hopefully modeling to my team and trying to hold them accountable for like handle your business like a woman um, or, you know, the, the scripture Galatians six, nine, don't grow weary in doing good because in due time you'll reach a, re a harvest if you do not give up. Like, so those are some of the messages that were really, really big in our program. And I think it's really uh, comfortable and convenient to um, teach from, you know, certain messages like that, but it's not quite as comfortable and convenient to live them out when it's not on a basketball court or the adversity is actually yours to own. And uh, so I felt, I felt very convicted, like, okay, I've been saying all these things for all these years. Now, how am I going to model that to these women and uh, these young women that, that I had a chance uh, to coach? And so that's kind of how my journey began. And, and one of the other messages and, and practices that were really important to us in our program was gratitude. And, and so that's just really where I wanted to start with that journey was I just wanted to find the things to be grateful about. I, I didn't want to dwell on, 
the negative. Uh, I, I definitely didn't want to be that bitter, fired coach because that's not how I felt. And I didn't want to uh, be portrayed that way. And that was not the energy I wanted to give off by any means. So that's kind of a, and, and that's not a Pollyanna or fake look into, you know, that part. There was certainly there was disappointment. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I got fired and said, thank you. Um, you know, there was, there was definitely disappointment and, um, you know, a lot of heaviness to that, that time and, and the days around that time. Um, but, I felt like my biggest responsibility in all that was to really begin that next leg of my journey with gratitude. And that was going to be the most authentic way that I could represent myself in in the face of what was going on. And also my best chance of trying to figure out what was next for me and my family. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that you would say to other coaches about the getting fired piece? like an advice that you would give them if they, if they experience something like that? Um. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and I, I've, I'll tell you, I'm so thankful. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't get fired and then say thank you, but I'm so thankful now for um, the platform it's given me to connect with people in a really unique way um, because it's really easy to talk to or to hear from a fired coach when you are a fired coach and it's a platform that I certainly didn't have before I went through that experience and it's been just a really neat way for me to uh, to connect with people and to maybe have conversations that otherwise I would I would not have been had an experience that I could have shared with them Um, you know but I go back to what I said a minute ago, you know, I think that we really have to think about, you know, the role that our profession plays in our life and they're really important. Our jobs are important, um, you know, but they're not who we are. And I think that's a good reminder for everyone, whether it's in the face of losing a job or getting a job, um, because sometimes we can, we can lose sight of that on occasion. But, um, so it's given me an opportunity to have some conversations with people and, and they're really just a lot more comfortable than conversations I've had with friends in the past who've lost their jobs or peers or colleagues. Um, but the, the advice that, that I give when asked for it is, you know, just that, remember who you are and that's what's most important. And, and then the other thing is that, you know, you're, you're probably really good at what you do, you know, and that was something I had a great deal of peace about when, um, you know, when the timing of when I was let go at Florida, I, I was coming out of the year that the wins and losses, um, you know, they weren't horrible, but they certainly didn't reflect the level of success that we had wanted. But we had had some challenges, and I, I knew that I had really done a good job of coaching that year. Mm-hmm. And and our wins and losses don't always reflect our best jobs that we do. And so we've got to have some good measures of success and some good people that can remind us um, what winning is especially in the moments when it's not always going to be reflected in W's and L's. Um, and, and then the other thing I think is that, you know, don't hide. It's not anything to be ashamed of. It happens. People get hired and fired. And if, if we worked at grocery stores and if I was working at Publix and I got fired, well, then I'd just get up the next day and go down to Winn-Dixie and see if they wanted to hire me. <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go somewhere and go, oh, I can never work at a grocery store again, or this is so embarrassing. I would just go find another grocery store that was, was looking for someone like me. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, and I, and I think that that, I don't mean to sound flippant at all, or that I'm being dismissive of the emotion and, you know, some of the things that accompany that experience. Um, but I think sometimes we can overdo the energy that we give to being fired, and then we don't give enough energy to what's next. And we might miss it, or we not, might not be equipping ourselves for it, or we might not be having the conversations with the right people because we feel a level of shame that's largely self-imposed. Exactly. And it's like, and, and I think along those same lines, um, you know, I think people are afraid to reach out to people after they get fired. And, and that's really when mm -hmm. they need the, the, the support the most, you know, and it's kind of like, kind of interesting to me. But I think it's, it says a lot about the circle of people that you've built around yourself. And I think, you know, that, that is an important piece when, when you go through the highs and lows of coaching. I mean, like, you're right, getting fired is part of this profession. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. it's just there. So you, we, we have to build that circle of support around us that we, we have people we can rely on during those difficult times. We have to have those relationships. And it sounds like you've had those relationships. And I, and I, you know, I was able to see it firsthand that you had a lot of those relationships here, people reaching out and supporting you um, during that time. And, but I think a lot of people don't take the time to build those relationships. And, and so they're, they not only feel isolated and ashamed when they get fired, they feel alone, you know, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that loneliness is, is tough to go through. Um, and that part is what I think happens when I, I do think we need to do a better job of supporting people when they're going through that time. Oh, I, I, no, I agree 100%. And, and I think sometimes we, we feel awkward, you know, or I don't know what to say, or, you know, well, I'll just text instead of calling or, you know, or things like that. And, um, you know, I, I think you communicate however you're most comfortable communicating in the way that, you know, is most authentic to who you are. Um, I just know in, in my case, 100% what you said, I had a lot of great people that, um, you know, just kept the, the, probably the most common question was, well, what's next? You know? And so it's like, okay, yeah, like that's where all my energy should be is mm -hmm. in what's next. Um, not saying that you know, there's not value in looking back or, or reflecting on ways you could do things better or, you know, there's, there's definitely value in that as well. But um, that's, I think that's where a majority of your energy should go is in, you know, what's next or, or what is this opportunity going to, you know, what is this opportunity? Clearly, we don't look at firing as being an opportunity, but there was an opportunity for change that in my particular case, I was never leaving the University of Florida. Um, I loved it. And I still love it. Um, but there were circumstances that were beyond my control that said, mm -hmm. no, nah, you're not going to be here anymore. And then it, and then it quickly became an opportunity, an opportunity to learn and an opportunity, like I said, to experience some things I never had before in my, all of my coaching career. And then ultimately uh, led me to the opportunity of where I am now, which I'm really, really thankful for. Um, but I think as quickly as you can turn around the, uh, the experience and start to look at this is an opportunity to do something new, or this is an opportunity to do something different. Or, you know, in my case, uh, you know, I'm a woman of faith. And so, you know, this is, this is clearly part of God's plan for me that I didn't see, which mm -hmm. in and of itself, 
I think is, yeah. you know, the way I, I want to live my life by faith. Well, there's a lot of things I can't see. And so then I just have to trust that when they're happening or when I'm experiencing them, that uh, they're leading me to something good or something better or, or something that better suits me and my family. And, um, and, and I was just really able to do that very quickly, just like you said, because I had a tremendous support system. And, um, you know, because I, I really try my best to, to live a life of gratitude. And I think that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's move on to the gap year. And let's talk a little bit about, um, if you don't mind sharing with people, what, what did you do um, during that gap year to, to make the most of that year off? Well, I, I, you know, I kind of alluded to it a little bit already. Uh, you know, I, I realized very quickly that I had an opportunity um, to do some things that maybe I had never been been afforded the opportunity to do before, and mm-hmm. and there really was a sense that I kind of my my the blinders that I think again are very self imposed that we sometimes when we get in jobs and we're so nose to the grindstone with recruiting or um, you know the the concerns of the day or or the next thing that's coming up that we don't pick our heads up and look around as often as maybe we we should or could, uh, but um, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to see basketball through a different lens, and and basketball, uh, the best basketball in the world is played in the NBA, and that's no disrespect to the WNBA or um, any other spaces that basketball is played, it's just, just it's where the, the best in the world play, you know, and, and they happen to be men's players, and they happen to be coaches that have been coaching Obviously, the NBA has been around a whole lot longer than the WNBA or, um, you know, any, any of those other spaces in the professional ranks. And so I really wanted to, to try and learn and, uh, you know, in a space where they're not concerned with recruiting, uh, where they don't have other responsibilities or things that consume their time outside of basketball, just basketball. And I wanted to see what that looked like and how that um, operated and how those guys taught and, you know, what communication and and teaching looked like when you were trying to um, put in a new offense with what are arguably the, you know, and I, I got to be in a couple different spaces, Boston, Oklahoma City, uh, Detroit, spent a little bit of time in Charlotte, a little bit in Orlando, arguably though the best players in the world in some of those places. So how does a coach communicate and teach a person like that? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was just really curious around some of those ideas, um, just aside from strategy and, and the X's and O's of the game. So um, I went to as many clinics and those sort of things as I could as well. Uh, I did start that journey. You, you mentioned earlier about, you know, your support system. And, and I talked to um, a lot of people, you know, just really tried to seek wisdom and said, okay, here's, here's what we're looking at. I got a year and I, I basically feel like I can go anywhere that I want. Uh, my son at that point was uh, not very old, very portable, uh, no idea where we were or, you know, so we, our family could move very easily. And um, so just ask a lot of people, like, what would you do if you were me? You know, people like Becky Burley or Sherry Cole or uh, Billy Donovan or, you know, just on down the line, talked to a lot of different people and also just talked about that desire that I had to also study the MBA. And mm-hmm. um, from that, just kind of developed from those conversations and, and conversations with, with Jana and, and just other people this idea of like, well, let me go in one of these, let me see if I can get in one of these NBA doors 
and not just stay for one or two days, but stay for an extended amount of time where I can really uh, observe the nuances of how they communicate, how they teach, um, you know, how a season unfolds. And so that led to me spending about six weeks with the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens and his staff, which were just tremendous. Um, while I was in Boston, I tried to see as many practices of uh, neighboring institutions as I could. So, uh, I, and I, and I tried to focus more on men's basketball because not again, any disrespect to men, women's basketball. I just, I knew I'd seen a lot of women's basketball. I had a great idea of the way a lot of people operated in women's basketball. So the women's basketball practices that I observed, I wanted those to be what I felt like might be a little bit different than what I'd already seen. Um, spent some time with Barbara Stevens there at Bentley, um, who was a hall of fame, uh, coach at the D2 level she all she does is win uh, but um, spent six six weeks up there in Boston trying to digest as much basketball as possible left uh, Boston spent a little bit of time in Nashville where my family is and went to a few practices there um, Rick Bird who just retired on the men's side from uh, Belmont got to see him practice I got to watch Stephanie White practice at, at Vanderbilt um, and then loaded up a car again and drove to Oklahoma City and spent uh, all of the uh, training camp with their G League team there, the Oklahoma City Blue and Mark Dagnalt, who is just a really unique thinker um, and a really just a smart guy and a great coach. So he let me sit with his, with his program and his team and his staff for about, oh, probably about three weeks. Um, then we started the journey back to uh, Florida and along the way stopped at University of Alabama Huntsville and spent some time with Lenny Acuff, who was another phenomenal Division II coach uh, on the men's side. He actually just was announced as the head coach at David Lipscomb on the men's side um, recently this week, but just made stops like that and uh, spent some time when I went up to Charlotte and watched the Hornets play and uh, I'm sorry, watched the Hornets practice. I really didn't watch a lot of games. I watched a lot of practices. Mm-hmm. Um, spent some time also with the Orlando Magic. I have a really good friend in uh, a guy named Jay Hernandez, who's just an elite coach, especially in the skill development realm. And so I would go over there and and spend time with with um, them any time that my schedule allowed. And they said it was okay. Um, and then in between that, just listened to every podcast I could and tried to read a bunch and just try to have really really good. I think I did a good job of pursuing really good conversations whenever I was in those spaces or just had a chance to meet somebody new and really pick their brain. Well, I mean, I, I think that's just absolutely phenomenal that you did all that. I mean, that's, that is definitely making the most of a gap year for sure. What, what would you say, like, I know a lot of people really admire Brad Stevens, you know, as a coach and like, what do you think are his best qualities? What did you learn from him? Well, the, the thing that was really unique about Brad, and, and I'll just tell you, every, every one of the NBA coaches that I got a chance to spend time with observing um, is that they, are, they have a really high level of, a, of self-awareness, and, and they're just very, they're, they were all very, very different. I mean, there could not be more different people in the world of Brad Stevens and Stan Van Gundy, who was the coach of the Detroit Pistons at that time. Um, you know, just so, so, so different, but so authentically real and, and genuine about who they were and how they communicated to their team and how they taught. Um, they were, I thought, really good communicators, 
but they it never deviated at all or got outside of who you felt like they were as an individual. And um, and Brad's style, I think, even when he was a college coach, it was very unique. You know, he was not a yeller and a screamer and a, you know, demonstrative um, type guy. Um, and he has plenty of passion, enthusiasm, and emotion. Um, but it's just not the way that he, how he communicates it is just very true to him. And uh, and I think that we all are attracted to people who we feel like are real. We're attracted to realness. And besides just Brad's level of intelligence, which is off the charts and how hard he works, um, I think he's just a really uh, attractive individual to guys that he coaches because he's he is who he is. Uh, he's very confident in himself and what he's telling you, and, and he communicates that um, in a great way. Mm-hmm. So you go on this trip, you're gathering all this information, you're learning from all of these people. And so I'm just putting myself in your shoes and, you know, you and I are very different, but let's just say I'm, I'm taking in all this information and I'm looking at how I've coached in the past. Like how did mm -hmm. that tour like change you or push you to grow in certain areas? Um, you know, that may have shined the light on areas that you felt you needed to improve in. Was, was there any of that for you? Oh yeah, 100%. You know, it was, it was really this kind of volleying back and forth between, you know, maybe seeing an idea presented a different way or seeing um, a style of communication in a certain moment or whatever, where I think, man, that's, I really admire that. That's maybe not something that um, I've been very good at that I need to, uh, to think about, you know, uh, as, as I go forward. And, and then the, the volley back the other way was, you know, very often there were things that were very validating and, you know, confirmed like, wow, that's, that's the same way that we did it. And that's the same way that I did it. And they're doing that here with the Celtics. Uh, that must've been some pretty good stuff. Uh, so I think there was, you know, just this, this constant, um, self-evaluation for sure. And it, it, you know, there would be days where I would feel like, man, I know nothing. And, and then there would be other days where I would go, I sure, I know a whole lot more than I thought I did, you know? <laughs> and so, um, it was, it was, it was really enriching. I think both of those feelings were very enriching and, and helpful to me, um, as someone who's, who's really striving to be just very genuine and, and have a high level of self-awareness. And it, I, the, the best gift that I had in all of that was I just had the time to really contemplate things like that and yeah. to be intentional about around some of those ideas. And we don't, we don't always, when we're in the midst of our seasons with our team, um, have that intentional time where we really uh, spend time introspectively and in a deep level of, of self-reflection. Yeah. So, so taking that concept one step farther, um, Amanda, have you, since you had that year of reflection, have you figured out how to weave that into your day-to-day -day life as a coach when you are in the middle of your season? Cause I know that's one of the things um, we, we have this quote with the coaches is that we do not learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on our experience. And mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like, do you, do you find yourself now really working to build some of that time into your, into your season? I, I think so. I would like to think so. Uh, certainly. I mean, you know, I, I think I'm a lot more diligent about, uh, you know, having some quiet time at the beginning of my days 
And, and that starts for me with uh, a devotional and um, uh, some prayer time. But, you know, prayer time is about as, for me, is about as a, as a deep of a self-reflective and, and vulnerable, like been, spending like time with myself with those vulnerable thoughts of like, am I doing this right? And where do I need more clarity and wisdom? And, you know, and so I've, I've, I think I've done a much better job of, of um, just being disciplined. Mm-hmm. of making time for that every morning, even if it is only, you know, five minutes, but I, I've really um, grown to rely on that time and, and feel a little bit out of sorts when I, when I don't, when I don't do it as consistently. Um, I think it, that the year also just, I'm having so much time to, you know, self-reflect and, and to think about how I want to do things the same and how I want to do things different. I think it, it also just being able to observe for your maybe a better, asker of questions too. And uh, so I'm trying to do a really good job of just making sure. And so sometimes I'm asking myself those questions like, and uh, you know, well, what, when I holding myself accountable for like, okay, well, what went wrong? Just asking myself that question. And, and, um, and then also knowing when I can't answer it and when I need to go ask someone else, like, okay, this didn't go well, what went wrong? Tell me, cause I can't see it. Right. Um, you know, because I, I think that asking for help is, was not, always one of my strengths and mm-hmm. then realizing in that year like how much information is out there and and, and how many people are also willing to help mm-hmm. asking for help asking for insights um asking for advice it's it's kind of crazy because you i don't think until you start to get older do you realize how much you need to be asking for help and if we could start asking for help sooner and if we could start seeking wise counsel and advice from people who've been through a few more things in life than we have sooner, then we would maybe make less mistakes, but we don't realize that we need that until we're older, uh, you know, so. <laughs> I know, and that's, it's you know, so I, hard to teach it because people, it's hard to ask for help. And that, I think that's true of any human beings, regardless of the situation. Um, it's hard for yeah. us to ask for help. And I totally agree with you as it, it is a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, but it's, it takes a lot of courage to do it. Um, yeah. So um, if, if you look at all of that, Amanda, so we've just talked about two little chapters in your life, you know, the piece about getting let go, then your gap year. And if you had to summarize it, has any of the, at any time during that, has it changed you as a coach in, in any ways? Like, do you feel... Uh, yeah, I would, no question. Uh, you know, I I know that uh, I know that I'm better. I, I know that um, like it just some of those things that we just talked about. Uh, you know, I think that those are things I've always intellectually known or intellectually understood, um, but uh, I'm much better at applying them yeah. and and being practical about them. Um, and and I think I was forced into that you know, because, uh, whether it was because I had more time or whether it was because, um, you know, I knew that, uh, I had an opportunity and I wanted to take advantage of it or, um, you know, whether it was because I just got a chance to look at myself a little bit differently and, and it wasn't as the label of, you know, the head women's basketball coach at the university of Florida, it was just, okay, Amanda Butler, period, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and not having one of those coaching titles attached to it. And, um, I, I think it's, I'm just so grateful for it. I'm yeah. so just thankful that I had the opportunity um, 
you know, to not only have the year, but to even go through the experience of being fired. Like I, I mentioned earlier, like I also, it, it's, it's given me this really unique platform to communicate with people on that before I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I learned that about myself as well. Like I really, maybe it's because I'm, I've passed the threshold of young coach now and I'm, you know, I'm not an old coach, but, um, I'm approaching that. And, um, and that, that ability to be able to connect with more people or to feel like that my journey is going to be able to assist someone else in their journey, like that I'm equipped with some experiences now that I would have never had if I had just been continued down that same comfortable pathway that I was on. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's really great wisdom. And, and a lot of coaches are seeking some of that wisdom for sure. Um, so you, you come into Clemson and, and, you know, you did put together a really incredible staff. Um, and, you know, I love Shimmy. I've all, you know, been a big Shimmy fan. <laughs> yeah, um, great. Yeah, I love her. And so, but beyond that, we, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the people that you put together and, and, and what qualities were you really looking for when you were stepping back into this coaching arena? Well, I, you know, I think that stepping back into to coaching and, and in particular into to women's basketball coaching, um, you know, I, I knew that I had to start with, with me and, and you know, all right, what, what do I do really well? What are the spaces where I feel like, you know, in a conference like the ACC where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm equipped to help lead us towards championships and then go, all right, now where are the areas where I'm not? And, and now I've got to, I've got to hire people that can, can bridge those gaps for me and can fulfill those roles that um, our student athletes will deserve and, and this university will deserve. And, and um, Shimmy and I had obviously had worked together uh, at Florida, a tre- tremendous amount of, of confidence in her, trust in her, uh, admiration for, for her and, and how good of a coach she is, how much of a, of a mentor and, and teacher and, and recruiter. And, uh, and so uh, Shimmy was, was definitely a place where, where I started. Um, and I had a lot of really great pieces on my staff at Florida. And, uh, you know, and the director of operations is a really, really, really important position for me on my staff because I am not a very good detail and deadline person. I'm not good at those things. And so, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough here to have a director of operations and also a program assistant. And uh, Shelly Greenman um, was also one of the people yeah. that, um, you know, made me really confident about this journey and helping me fill some of those those uh, holes in my skill set. Um, and then also just a tremendous amount of trust for her and her judgment and her level of experience and, mm-hmm. and wisdom. Um, and then uh, from there, in terms of uh, assistant coaches, um, you know, uh, Daniel Barber was a, a, another person that had worked with me at Florida in a very different capacity. He started out as my scout team guy, and, and then we made him a manager. And then he stayed on through his, his graduate degree and was a graduate assistant for us. And um, I've always uh, kept, kept up with Daniel as he worked at UNC Asheville um, for Brendan Mock Kirkpatrick and, and then at Stetson with, with Lynn Bria, you know, also two, two women who I think do a fantastic job in our business. And I knew that they had, had really done a, a good job at, at teaching and, and shaping and mentoring Daniel. And, and, uh, and he was also someone that I had a tremendous amount of, of trust in, which is important to me. And, um, 
and so added him to the to the group. Also, you know, he's a talented recruiter and just a super hard worker. And uh, and then Joy Cheek um, was also someone that we were able to add to the staff. Got a little bit lucky with Joy in that um, she was engaged to a fellow who was coaching football up the road, and um, mm-hmm. and so love helped draw uh, helped draw Joy to um, to Clemson. Um, but I've known Joy since she was about 12 years old, and I was trying to um, help convince her to become a Charlotte 49er. And um, and so I, I she's someone whose journey I've I've followed and, and cheered for her all all along the way and. Um, you know, just a rising star in our business, uh, uh, a tremendous recruiter and someone who's played at the uh, and competed as a coach um, at the highest levels and knew that, that she could help us be successful in this league as well. Um, and I could keep on going down the list of every single piece. I don't, you know, I'm, I feel like I've already been long-winded, but uh, the common thread between all of them were that they were great. They were great people. Mm. They're really good people and um you know trust loyalty and commitment our tlc uh is is the way we describe and um and and the way we even talk about our culture we rarely use the word culture we just use tlc as if it's a a noun and um i felt like all of them fit that framework um they were not only we were going to be able to operate as as a staff at a super high level um in a really competitive conference um you know, and level of competence, but we were also going to be able to model that and build that in terms of from the inside out, changing a little bit of of what Clemson had been and and work towards what Clemson could be. So you mentioned the TLC um, as one of your foundational philosophies. And then there's this Mm -hmm. other one, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, Amanda. I know it's a HYB law. So how do you say that? <laughs> yes. We, you, well, we, yeah, we shorten it to HIB law. We just HIB say law. HIB law. Okay. okay. So what, why don't you um, tell our listeners what that stands for? Yeah. HIB, HIB law is just an, an acronym for handle your business like a woman. And, um, and to me, ultimately, uh, that's the, the highest calling that we have is, is teaching and modeling and, and preparing um, a group of young women after graduation to handle their business like women and to go out into the world degree in hand and uh, compete as professionals, whether that is still on the court or whether that's in the courtroom or uh, if that's in medical school or if that's as mamas or pastors or, or whatever is next in their life, but that they're really ready to go out into their respective communities and, and know what it means to handle your business like a woman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so it's it's in big giant letters on the uh, on the wall of our locker room, and that's kind of our our guiding principle, our guiding mission as as the coaches of the program. But then it's also um, the standard by which we want our players to operate. You know, when you're making a decision on Friday night to handle mm-hmm. your business like a woman, when you're yeah. making a decision uh, about whether to get up at seven o'clock in the morning and when you didn't get in until three o'clock the night before from a late game you've got to handle your business like a woman and um and then and then in the face of mistakes when you overslept because you got in really late the night before um because of a road game and you missed a morning tutor handle your business like a woman you know let let everybody know that needs to know and 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 move on from it don't hide from it don't 
uh, lie about it or tell a half truth, you know, handle your business like a woman. And so that is, that's definitely been um, a huge pillar in, and who we try to be day to day and, and ultimately who, what we're moving the group of women that we get to um, be part of their journey with uh, as we move them towards, you know, like I said, that time when they leave us where we're hopefully teaching and modeling how to do that. I really, I mean, I really love both of these because the TLC and the HIB law kind of give them a framework to make decisions and, and how to, mm-hmm. you know, come from this framework of, you know, the the tribe of people that you've pulled together in your team and it's not just about you you know it's kind of like this really is about our culture and our team and our family as a team and so mm-hmm. i really do i really like that that framework that you've set there and you know your team you know was picked to finish last in the ACC this past year and you really, you really did some amazing things. You had the first NCAA tournament appearance since 2002. First time seated seventh in the AC tournament since 2004. Um, first back-to-back road wins over ranked opponents in program history. Most overall wins in ACC road wins since 2001. Wow. Most home wins and ACC wins since 2002. And I think what's really interesting is you know, that, that's really great, Amanda. Congratulations. And, you know, you, you go on to say um, in this article that I was reading that you and Jana wrote called 371 Days and 14 Ugly Ducklings Later, um, you kind of call it the year of the ugly duck. Um, do you want to explain that to everybody? <laughs> yeah, it, it was um, not, not at all of my doing. I, I cannot claim the cleverness um, or the blame if it's somebody's mama who's upset uh, <laughs> for that for that name that nickname they they were they called themselves that uh, and and it came through a session with our sports psychologist Dr. Katie Nichols where they were having a session before practice one day where they were just kind of talking about um, our identity as a team and there were no coaches even present in that and they were trying to figure out um, through pictures um, photos. Um, you know, representations of, of, of what they were. And ultimately, they landed on two, two photos, two printouts, and one was a printout of um, a, a mama duck with a bunch of ducklings behind her. And then the other one was a, a picture of a flame. And so I came into uh, our video room after that session was finished and just kind of asked them to debrief me, tell me what you guys learned today, help me be a better coach. And um, explained to me what you know today's lesson was about and so they they basically said well this picture here of the ducks that's us we're the ugly ducklings and <laughs> you know that big duck right there you're the big ugly duckling and we're the little ducklings that are following you and the flame means that we're dangerous and uh, the whole the whole idea tying it all together was that you know we had to we had to compete and, and try to win games this year and in some non-traditional ways, not the pretty sexy ways. We weren't able to shoot the three really well. And um, we weren't a very good half court offensive team. And we didn't have post depth. Like there was just a lot of things that we didn't have. Um, But the things that we did have, well, they were kind of an ugly way of competing. It was, you know, just this old school, like floor burns and, and tips and, you know, get knocked down. How fast can you jump back up? And, let's just play with a tremendous amount of effort and, and let's try to win the foot race and, um, and let's just ultimately not give energy to anything that we're not. 
Um, and the things that we were, they, again, the self, self-proclaimed uh, thing, uh, you know, came up with that self-proclaimed name of like, it's kind of ugly the way we play ball, but it works for us. And therefore we're a little bit dangerous. And so we're the dangerous, ugly ducklings. And so I said, Hey, I co-sign. Sounds good to me, y'all. Let's go. And um, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And and that's that's what worked for us. I have this image of you walking and all these little ducklings following you. It's kind of funny. (laughs) So, uh, I, it I was, wanted, I'll be honest with you, Celia, it was really cool. Like, as they yeah. were explaining it to me, like, I don't know that everyone would feel really excited about, um, you know, a, a group of 20-somethings um, calling you, like, the, the head ugly duckling, but I thought it was really cool, and I was very proud, and um, and it was so, it was just so freaking accurate. Like, it really was who we were, and they nailed it. And yeah. so I love that level of, of kind of cumulative self-awareness that they, they hit it right on the head. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's re- that is really cool when a team does that and takes ownership of their identity, you know, and so deeply. And I, I have to admit, I watched you guys play several times on television this year and I would say it was very accurate. It was like, you were, <laughs> you were like this team that, you know, you did some things and they weren't always pretty, but somehow you stayed in the game and you were, you know, there at the end and, and winning those games. So I, I think it's, it's really um, a great testament to you all. Um, the, the last question or, or one of the last two questions I have for you, Amanda, is um, in taking, and, and this is a quote from this article, in taking trust yeah. one step further, my team had a positive relationship with feedback. And you call mm-hmm. them Team 44, and you says Team mm-hmm. 44 wasn't scared to hear the truth ever. Can, can you say mm-hmm. a little bit more about that and how you, you know, built that a little bit into your culture? Sure. Well, it was, you know, it was something that we, we talked about um, before we even started playing games, you know, of we wanted to try to train what we called unnatural skills as much as possible. And so there was some acknowledgement, you know, like way back in the summer that, um, you know, if, if we're going to be different, if we're going to be special this year, then we have to do things a little bit differently than other people. Well, most people don't really want to hear the truth about themselves unless it is a compliment or unless it's truth that's easy to hear or easy to adjust to. And some of the truths um, I've already told you were some of the truths that my team was willing to hear was like, look, guys, we don't shoot that well. So um, let's not shoot. Okay. Let's not shoot that shot. Like let's, we don't need to take a lot of threes and, and, and that's nothing. There's no basketball pl- player on the planet ever. You know, you were a baller, like nobody wants to hear, don't shoot that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then there's a timeless truth. that kind of corresponds with feedback very often is that we, we naturally, when we hear truth that we, we don't want, we, we get feedback that we don't want to hear that's hard to hear Then we very often then we'll try to find the flaw in the person who's delivering that, that feedback to us. And so, you know, we just really at the beginning of this year said, let's, let's talk about what some of the realities of our, are of our team and let's own them. Uh, Let's, and then let's, let's build an identity around, you know, other things. But, but the first thing that our team had to do was accept the truth about themselves and Mm -hmm. shot selection was a really, really important component of us being successful this year. And so they had to understand by hearing feedback really early on, like that's not a good shot for you, or that's not a good shot for us. Yeah. And um and and hear it and and agree to it. And we tried to 
present evidence so that those those truths were you know the, and the numbers that made that easier to hear. But ultimately, they had to hear it and they had to apply it, or not. And and they did. And um, and I thought that was a really unique quality of this team. And you know, some other people say, well, they were coachable. Yes, that's. But that's just such an oversimplification. Mm-hmm. They had to hear hard truths, accept them, and then play in a way that reflected that they took ownership of the truth. And that's what they did. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, and I also love what you talk about here about when trust and truth exist in a room, the seeds of love have found their soil. And you talk about, you know, you ask that you ask them um, this question in every scenario of the season, that question was and is, what does love require of me? And I I think Mm -hmm. that's really awesome that you all all talk openly about, about love. And you, you have any, would you like to talk a little bit about that? 100%. Uh, so the first thing that I should tell you in, in, in full disclosure is that Dr. Majette, that first part of that, that you wrote that quote of, um, you know, where, where the, 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 um, where truth comes together in a room, like that's, that's 100% Dr. Majette. Okay. <laughs> um, she, because she's way smarter than me. And, and that was, that was definitely from her. Um, but it, it was just such an awesome characterization, though, of, of what, um, you know, what we were trying to do. And, and, and again, that the simple parts of whatever you read, those were my things. The things that sound really smart and intelligent, like a doctor of but, um, <laughs> So hers, that, that eloquent, beautiful quote that you read, Janice, the, okay, now what does love require of me? Well, then that's Amanda, because that's like the really simple, <laughs> anybody could have come up with it part. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, you know, we just we tried to to really do a good job of of coming up with ways to help them make decisions that would um, would build our TLC um, would would build them closer to together. And and I think that you know we talk about very often um, you know in in sports we talk about teams and then we very quickly start using words like family and you know, and how can you talk about being part of a family without talking about love? And then how can you talk about family and how can you talk about love without also telling the truth that sometimes there's going to be some really, really hard moments. And so then we have to have another guideline to help us in the hard moments, make the right decision. Handle your business like a woman is one of those guidelines. And what does love require of me is another one of them. And if, and we feel like that one of the spaces where we um, what we wanted to give a ton of energy to was what type of teammate am I? And because that's something we had 100% control over. And that, again, as I've already said, uh, that's where we wanted our energy to go towards is the things we had control over. We had control over the type of teammate we are. Okay, well, great. That's easy to understand, coach. But now, how do I do that on a daily basis? Or how do I do that when I'm at odds with a teammate or I'm battling with a teammate for playing time or, you know, all the different things that, that, uh, happen in a locker room over the course of a season. Well, if I'm mature enough and if I care enough, um, you know, if I have enough TLC uh, about me and can ask in those moments, what does love require of me? Then I'm probably going to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. And it might not be the easy decision, but I'm at least going to know what the right answer is. And then I have a choice of whether I want to choose to apply that answer to this situation. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I, I really like it. Um, so in closing here real quick, um, you are a mom to little Nehemiah and <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. How old is he now? He's got to be what three, four? He he, he turned no, no, no. He turned two in November. Two in so November. We're, we're about, okay, okay. We're about two and a half. But um, he's he's very well traveled and um, has had some pretty awesome life experiences in his two point five years. He's so he seems good. more than older than that. He's adorable. Um, Thank you. He. Uh, so how has that changed your life? And how does oh, it, that's listen. That's like a whole nother six-hour podcast. Okay. So, so you're loving um, being a mom and a coach, and you and it's and you're making it work. No, there's no doubt. I there is no question in my mind whatsoever that being a mother makes me a better coach. Uh, you know, I think that you know uh, we we recruit players and we talk to to moms and dads throughout the recruiting process and. And, uh, you know, I don't know how everybody else does it. I assume it's similar to me, but you basically, you know, you're, you're telling that, that parent, that family, um, I'm going to take care of your child and I'm going to love your child like she's my own. And, um, and you, you think you're doing that and you're trying to do that. But then when you actually become a parent and you consider the idea of someone else taking care of your child or loving your child, I think it takes it to a whole nother level of, uh, you know, the way you make decisions. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it's made me a better coach. I mean, he makes every day happy, uh, win, lose, or draw. And, um, you know, he's just, he's such a blessing. Well, Amanda, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking an hour out of your day to, to visit with all of us and share some of the insights and, things that you've learned, your highs and your lows over the last couple of years. And um, it's just a lot of great wisdom in this podcast. So I hope some of the younger coaches really, or any coach um, listens and, and, and learns a few little nuggets in there for sure. So thank you, Amanda. Really well, appreciate it. I, listen, the pleasure is all mine. You're doing great work, Celia. I, I appreciate you, sister. And, um, you know, and your passion for, for trying to equip all of us um, to be better at what we do, to, to find more fulfillment in what we do, to figure out how to survive and thrive and, um, and, and to, to reach our highest level of potential without sacrificing our level of joy. And um, so I'm, I'm tickled that, you know, I got a chance to be on and share a few things. And, and I would just, you know, if there's anybody that happens to listen to this that, you know, wants to talk about any of these things further or thinks that I can ever help them in their journey, well, you know, that would be, uh, you know, that'd be really humbling to me. And I'm pretty easy to find. We're just down here in the local Clemson, South Carolina. So look me up. <laughs> and I will just for, so everyone knows, I will include the link to the article that I was um, pulling some quotes from. I will post that link to that blog post um, so everybody can read the entire, read it in its entirety. So thank awesome. you, Amanda. And um, good luck with uh, the rest of your career at Clemson. Thanks so much, Celia. Hope I get to see y'all soon. Hi, coaches. Thank you so much for joining us on this Coaches on the Rise episode. There's a few little things that we'd really like to ask you to do for us that might seem little, but they're huge for True North Sports. First, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. And we'd really like to hear what you have to say about our podcast by writing a short review. The second thing is please share our podcast with other coaching colleagues that you have. And the third thing is join us on social media. Follow the different programs, 
um, things that we're offering through True North Sports for all coaches of all sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. And until next month, keep shining bright, coaches.